This is Smart Women, Smart Power, a podcast that features conversations with some of the world's most powerful women. So if you start to switch the way we think about cybersecurity to something that is business oriented, you kind of understand that you can't separate it from the business and also technology alone can't solve that problem. We feature women who are breaking barriers and shaping the future of foreign policy, national security, international business and development. I'm Suzanne Spaulding, the Interim Director of the Smart Women, Smart Power Initiative at the Center for Strategic and International Studies in Washington, D.C. The Smart Women, Smart Power podcast is supported by Raytheon. For this week's podcast, we got some help from our good friend, Camille Stewart, Global Head of Product Security Strategy at Google, and co-founder, along with Lauren Zabrick, of the hashtag Share the Mic in Cyber initiative. It works to address issues stemming from systemic racism in cybersecurity. And a key element of hashtag Share the Mic in Cyber is to amplify voices of Black practitioners in this field. With Camille's help, we have two impressive members of this community here to talk with us today. Zenet Kamal is an Associate Cloud Security Engineer at Best Buy and author of a new children's book called, Oh No, Hacked Again? Zenet was also recently selected as an honoree for the 2021 Team Women Wavemakers Awards. And Juliet Okafor is CEO and founder of Revolution Cyber, a full-service security strategy and awareness firm that helps companies build custom security programs. We talked about their experiences in cybersecurity and the experiences in their lives that helped lead them to this place, helps to inform their work, and help sustain them in an often challenging environment. Jules and Zena, we are so excited to have both of you here to speak with us today. Thank you for joining us. You know, I was struck as I read through your bios that you both have law degrees, as do I. So I'm very interested in how those things relate. But let's start with how and when you first became interested in cyber. I'm interested whether it was before or after you went to law school. Was there any specific incident or time when you knew I, that's what I really want to do? And we'll start with Jules. That's a great question. So I will say that a lot of the work I do today is informed by the way in which law is taught in law school. But when I was in law school, I had no idea about cybersecurity or really that this would be the direction in which my career actually went into. I entered this space back in 2014 after losing my job actually in market research. And one of the things I told myself after sitting out for some time, because it was the height of the financial crisis, was that the next thing I went into would be taking off, would be growing. At the time, market research was being underinvested in. And so my first job was in sales. My first job out of college had been in sales, and I'd be, I've been in sales over 20 years. And I sold Alien Vault and Splunk integrations to emerging markets. So I actually implemented the first SIM for the Bank of Zambia back in 2015. That was my first real sale. Very cool. And Jules, you know, you talk about wanting to pick a growing field. This is an issue that isn't going away anytime soon and does seem to keep keep growing. Zenet, how about you? How did you come to this field? 
Yeah, so I it's interesting to hear you know Jules' experience. Uh, you know everything is different for everybody in cybersecurity and how we, everybody else broke into the industry. Uh, I moved from Ethiopia nine years ago, and I had my law degree and working there before I moved here nine years ago, and then decided to switch to technology and went to school from scratch. Started from community college, doing an associate's degree and bachelor degree in computer science, and I knew nothing about cybersecurity. So I've always wanted to switch to tech. And when I moved to the U.S. from Ethiopia, I thought, oh, this is, uh, you know, a second chance opportunity to, you know, fulfill that dream of being in tech and just learning because we we do not have that access back in Ethiopia as well when it comes to technology and just generally computers, right? So, and not figuring it out. And last year of my uh, computer science program during my senior year, I found this competition that one of our professors was advocating for joining the team to represent the university in a CCDC competition, which is a collegiate cyber defense competition. I made the team, long story short, to represent that. And that sparked my interest in security because in all of the computer science, computer programming classes, I haven't seen anything related to spark my interest in security because there wasn't any courses related to that. So that participation, the self-learning, just representing the team, seeing the interaction of red team, white team, and blue team, and just seeing the whole scenario of a sneak peek of what the real world security looks like kind of gave me that interest. So I wouldn't say that my legal training has to do anything with cybersecurity, but I will definitely say that, you know, the, the skills are transferable. There are a lot of skills that I am currently utilizing in that space, you know, and I've never mentioned that I had a, a legal degree until recently. And when I mentioned people will say, oh, you do also have a law degree. And then that has been my experience. I've often thought I've gone back and forth between legal positions and policy positions, but I have often thought too, Dina, that the legal training has helped me just with an analytic approach, right? How to break complex problems or issues, or in the case of you and Jules, complex systems down and figure out what's most important and work through a kind of logic of addressing them. So it's interesting that you also sort of see at least that sort of analytic potential thread through there. I'm disappointed to hear that in your computer science curricula that there were no courses on security. I hope that's changing because I think that's a big part of the problem, don't you? Definitely, definitely. There is one course and that's how I came to know and that was when I was about to graduate. So I might have had a different decision of doing a whole computer science, learning all the different computer programs. <laughs> have I, you know, had I known that my route would be cybersecurity, I learned all the codings and everything. I mean, which is great, you know, because it expands your learning abilities and it's important, but it's not really required for every role in cybersecurity. So yeah, it's been interesting and definitely the analytical skills are coming from those legal trainings and experiences. Yeah. Jules, do you find that at all? Do you see any ways in which your legal training or experience has influenced how you approach cyber? Yeah. So much of the work we do is about security culture curation. So helping to embed security across multiple areas of the business. And a lot of that is about being able to rapidly take in information and make determinations based on the information you have, and then telling a story that you can then use to influence other people to take part in what it is that you're building. A lot of that is what you learn, you know, in mock trial, in debate, in law school, we learn, you know, how do you take a set of facts and with that, tell a story to a jury who has to make a decision on it. It's very, very, very similar. 
I'll also say that my legal background has made it so that the way in which we dissect policies and policy writing is very much about being able to coherently write quickly, making sure you understand the facts very quickly, but you're able to communicate them to people who aren't as well educated about that particular area. I really do believe that I'm leaning quite a bit in my legal background, but I also have degrees in communication and in marketing. So I think all of that combination is actually feeding the security culture as a service that we provide. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. You know, Jules, as the CEO of Revolution Cyber, focused on security strategy and awareness, those communication skills are obviously critically important and I'm sure have helped you tremendously. But I'd be curious then, so in that context, what are some of the key messages that you do find yourself emphasizing to companies about cybersecurity? One, you are communicating cybersecurity to the person with the least knowledge in the company. So one of the engagements we did was for a really large cruise line, and we actually had to communicate in the form of training and awareness to the cooks and the people in the washroom. They have nothing to do with computers, that is not their job, but we had to make it so we aligned what the goals were related to cybersecurity to that person so it mattered to them. Number two, strategically, tying awareness to threats, so focusing on the things that impact the highest risk employees. So often with organizations strategically, you have a limited budget. You've got to spend money on the areas of the business that have the most risk. And the highest risk groups in any organization, executives, the IT slash engineering teams, and then your customer service marketing teams. So you, a CISO should really strategically be thinking about what access those people have, the kind of people who might target them, and then how do you communicate on a continuous basis what their obligation or responsibility is and hold them accountable to taking actions and changing behavior that helps to improve the overall cybersecurity of the organization. And then what I'll say finally is awareness now is so generic. I think, you know, even in law school, I, I went to Temple Law, we were always taught that you spoke to the juror who you felt like could most connect with your story. And I think a lot of times because awareness can tend to be so general one time a year, we're losing a lot of the opportunity we have to connect with people and actually to create a platform for cybersecurity in the organization and creating communities and spaces around it. So I would say as we look forward, that's changing because I feel a lot more people are talking about security culture and moving away from awareness to adoption. But I'm also finding that it's still an easy answer to cybersecurity to go just do the training, check the box and let's move on. Yeah, Jules, that's so smart, I think. It's fascinating because, you know, we've talked for a long time now about taking a risk-based approach to cybersecurity. And I have not heard it articulated as well as you just did about how you assess risk across your workforce and your when you think about your high-value assets, not just thinking about data sets, but thinking about you know, who might be your highest value employees from whom you might get the greatest buy-in. I would ask, you know, each of you how you think about that idea that we've got to help people not think about cybersecurity as being simply a technical issue and a technical risk, but really being that enterprise business risk and what that means. Zenit, is that something that you confront in your position as Associate Cloud Security Engineer for Best Buy? Yeah, I mean, as you know, organizations are now um, increasingly relying on technology, you know, for the day to day operations, especially during the pandemic, you know, 
cybersecurity has become like essential to any organization's comprehensive enterprise risk management. So with the ever expanding threat of cybercrime, these strategies for cybersecurity are incredibly essential for all organizations. So the good folks are always up against smart cyber criminals, you know, who are constantly developing new tricks and targets every single day. So, and because the stakes are so high that all organizations, regardless of their size, have no choice, but must be, you know, vigilant and emphasizing cybersecurity as an essential component of their overall enterprise risk management. I, I think there's no choice in that. And I have seen that in organizations that I've worked, me being relatively new to cyber world since 2018, I've seen in organizations, be it local government or state, some of the top enterprise risk management are, you know, cyber risks. And there is no way of not prioritizing that if the business uh, needs to be competitive and uh, be successful generally. And part of what, of course, that approaching this as a business risk or an enterprise wide risk, not just the uh, job of the CISO means that you do have to bring other folks, other, other employees, other mission spaces in the business into the discussion. And that is part of the human factor that I think is often underappreciated. Jules, do you agree? Yeah, yes, I would say so. I would say that ultimately right now, cybersecurity is seen mostly as a technical issue, but I, I think some of the people that find that I'm interacting with, they do see it as a, as a business imperative. Unfortunately, I think that we're still hiring for CISOs that are mostly have technical capability, but I truly believe that business leaders could sit in the role of CISO or CSO. And mostly because the risks associated with cybersecurity today have such an impact. If you think about the fact that most businesses are now basically digital companies, like every company in order for you to exist today is a digital company. Therefore, you have technology risk. And therefore, that has to be addressed via cyber risk mitigation efforts. And therefore, if all business is, is a digital company, then the cybersecurity leader must understand business. And I'm finding still that there is a fundamental understanding of the need to go in that direction, but there isn't an alignment with the strategic imperatives, the priorities that CISOs are putting in front of the CEOs. Oftentimes, I hear the statement, you don't get fired for bringing in, you know, enter vendor name here. People are not starting with the business risk. So what is the business trying to achieve in the 10K? What did they promise the investors that they would actually get done? And then how do we protect the servers and the systems and the customers that actually help us to get to those goals? And then cybersecurity, the job of that is actually to enable those things to actually be done securely and with trust. So if you start to switch the way we think about cybersecurity to something that is business oriented, you kind of understand that you can't separate it from the business and technology alone can't solve that problem. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And this is why CEOs and the boards need to be so engaged in the discussion around cybersecurity because they are the ones who understand the impact to the business from potentially cyber disruptions, right? Disruptions that flow from malicious activity in your information and communication network. And they understand the impact of that business. I always say it's like the electrician can no more tell a business what the impact would be if their power was out for an extended period of time, right? Then the CISO should be the expert on what is the impact to the business if our network is down for an extended period of time. That is what the business people, the operations people, et cetera, 
should do. And they are also then in a position, as you say, to come up with ways to mitigate it that may not be about technology, maybe about changing processes and things. One other point, I was having a conversation with a CISO yesterday. One of the things he said that was so profound to me is, if you think about the other members of the C-suite, it's understood that the CFO understands finance, the H or the CHRO understands HR, the CMO understands marketing. The CISO actually has to understand all of those different roles in order for they, them to be successful. And therefore, they can't just be technologists because they've got to understand how their work actually impacts the rest of their business, the rest of the departments. So I found when he said that interesting because it's true, but I don't think we see how much of a leadership, very business aligned leadership role the CISO role has become. Yep, I think that's right. So Zenet, one of the ways that a lot of companies, particularly small, medium sized businesses have tried to deal with this cyber threat is moving into the cloud and your title, Associate Cloud Security Engineer for Best Buy. I have to say, I think that the notion of the cloud is still really vague for a lot of folks. So we might sort of start that part of our discussion by just having you offer to some of our listeners, a, you know, a quick description of what you think the cloud really is. Right. That's so interesting. I So this is my newest role coming from, you know, information security engineering, just pivoting to cloud, that aspect of securing the cloud. So to me, the cloud is, you know, nothing, a physical entity. It's not a physical entity, but it's a huge network of those servers, remote servers around the globe, which are, you know, connected together and meant to operate as a single ecosystem. So to me, you know, it refers to softwares and services that run on a computer instead of locally on our computer. So some of the examples would be, you know, Netflix and Dropbox or Google Drive, um, Apple iCloud. So instead of accessing those files and data from a local or personal computer, we're accessing it from the internet. And these remote servers that I referred earlier are maybe designed for various purposes. Uh, it could be for storing and managing data or running applications or to deliver content or services such as, you know, Netflix streaming videos or social media, etc. So I know that people mention it as a, it's someone else's computer, you know, it's nothing else, but it's someone else's computer. But yeah, that's how I would define it. Yeah. And just as with anything else, there are more secure cloud services and less secure cloud services. And, and I do think it's important for, you know, folks to understand that they've got to not assume that by moving your data into the cloud that you have solved your security challenges. And similarly, you know, Best Buy obviously is a, a markets a lot of internet of devices. And, and there's another area where I think it's hard for consumers to make distinctions between secure devices and insecure devices. My sense is we don't still have a marketplace that gives consumers a lot of that information, particularly, I think, technical analysts and writers, right, who when we, when we look up which, let alone computer, but which other IoT device we ought to be buying, it's not a column in the features description by these tech writers, right, how secure or privacy protecting is it? And I'm wondering what your thoughts are about, you know, how do we move or are we moving from a, an imperative among the developers of IoT to first to market, be the first ones to get something to the market, as opposed to a competing by being able to say that their device is more secure, for example? 
Yeah, and I think, you know, IoT devices are getting manufactured at a higher rate. And I do think that consumers are more aware of like some of the risks that are associated with them and just choosing convenience. And that's to me is that, you know, there is increased awareness to that, but people are just choosing convenience or regardless going with it. So the largest issues with IoT security is that, you know, many consumer IoT devices are manufactured without really some of the basic security considerations in place. And I don't think the consumer is putting, you know, that enough pressure to create devices to be created, you know, by default, secure by design. There are, you know, some of the basic security things that could be implemented that would have avoided all of those security issues. The lack of secure update mechanisms or insecure data storage and transfer or the use of open ports or not having multi-factor authentication for those cloud services. I think with the reality of things that we're seeing currently in a 21st century, no device should be in that place where it's accessible by the internet. And I think, you know, some of these IoT security challenges can be alleviated by implementing those, you know, basic security measures. And I do think that consumers are really aware. I mean, there is that increased awareness, but I think people just, just choose convenience and it's creating security is about, you know, creating that balance between convenience and restrictions. Yeah, it's a really good point. And I think educating the public as to why they should care, right? So as you say, they may be aware now increasingly of cyber threats, but why they should really care. And I think that education needs to start early, and apparently you do too, because you have just published your second children's book. I love the title, Oh No, Hacked Again. You know, what inspired you to write this children's book about the importance of online safety and the field of cybersecurity? Yeah, it's inspired by my children. I'm a mom of four between the ages of 12 and two years old, two boys and two girls. And, you know, during the pandemic, I've noticed that they have been increasingly using the internet gaming. They're not ready for social media, but they've been, you know, increasingly on the internet to socialize that interaction that they missed, you know, physical interactions through school because they've been doing their distance learning at home. And, you know, I've noticed that more than twice, two of their my kids have lost their accounts hacked and just taken over losing everything. So the whole purpose of it is like to teach kids about the importance of online safety as much as, you know, we're really quick to equip them with tablets and all the, all the gadgets. As much as we teach them, you know, physically, we teach them don't talk to strangers or be careful, look your left and right when crossing street. But we don't do that online. So I think, you know, highlighting the importance of online safety, there are online predators, whatever you're putting online it stays forever and be wary about who you share your passwords with or your personal information and just using, you know, multi-factor authentication that was also discussed there and just highlighting that importance regardless of how you're interacting as long as you're on the internet, be it for entertainment, gaming or educational purposes just to, to create that awareness. And there, the second message of it is being relatively new, like I mentioned, into the cybersecurity world. I've noticed that cyber isn't really that diverse. And I wanted to create a, at least that spark of interest for young readers, especially children, young girls, to be interested in the STEM fields to show that, you know, cybersecurity is so cool. You know, you can have this as a, your future career option. And, you know, there are different subtle messages in the book, but those are the main two things. 
That's wonderful. I love your emphasis on trying to talk to girls about cybersecurity, a field that has not been known for its diversity, either in terms of people of color or, or girls. And so good on you. That's it's really great. And both you and Jules are obviously see the importance of storytelling in getting people to listen and really be able to take in the messaging that you're trying to convey. You're both also part of, as I noted in the introduction, this wonderful community of hashtag share the mic and cyber. And so I'd love to give each of you an opportunity to describe what interested you in this organization, the work of Share the Mic in Cyber, and what advice you might have for women and people of color who are thinking about a career in cybersecurity. Share the Mic in Cyber, I I probably did my fourth round, I believe uh, late last year. And it really is a great platform for introducing people of color to white allies who can provide an opportunity to expand their network and expand the access to opportunities that they might not typically know about or feel confident in applying to. I believe that the organization, which is run by Lauren Zebrick, Camille Stewart, and Caitlin Ringrose, it has been a wonderful treasure for me because not only has it allowed me to gain access to speaking opportunities and to potential jobs. But as a CEO of the company, they've actually been great at making introductions to potential customers. I think more importantly, they've been very good about sharing information related to cybersecurity, educating, and also, you know, helping to like, like Zanette, when she published her second book, we all got an email, we were congratulating her. I think that kind of community you don't find very often. And so I'm very, very happy to be part of a community where we are celebrating each other, we're all, you know, looking to figure out how we can help. There's a group of people who support you in, in every step of your career. Yes, all of what Jules said. <laughs> and I, I think I participated three times now. So Share the Mic and Cyber, it's described as a movement, really. So started by, like Jules said, Camille Stard and Lauren Zibrake, also Caitlin, with the goal of addressing issues coming from systemic racism in cybersecurity. It's a social media campaign highlighting the experiences of Black professionals in the field and creating that conversation on race in the industry and shining light on those professional accomplishments to showcase as experts in all fields, as well as, you know, creating opportunities to bringing the cyber community together and also creating opportunities with the scholarship. And I have been a beneficiary twice of that, where there are opportunities open for people to apply for these scholarships, where I applied for my grad school, one of the tuitions to be paid or for certifications with SANS. So it's really been a great experience so far, and I always look forward to the next one. Just seeing that day off and then the lasting relationships that gets created from the allies that you're connected with or the many, you know, LinkedIn connections that you're getting from other people because they know that you're there. And that's the whole purpose of it besides creating those endless opportunities. I love it. And I always look forward to the next one. Maybe Suzanne, to add to the other piece that you asked about, what advice do you have like for women and people of color in cyber? I think that was part of the question. I just want to add it's a space that needs the participation of everyone. 
Women being 51% of the population, only 24% are represented in the industry. And that's something that I've noticed. Until recently, it was 11%. Just recently got up to 24%. And I just want to say that, you know, we do belong and we're here. And I, I just want to say, you know, for people who are looking into getting to cyber, especially women, look into the, you know, the various domains, um, research which domains speak to you and just join organizations, join your tribe, organizations such as, you know, women in cybersecurity or black girls in cyber or empower. Those are organizations there to uplift and create awareness, the importance of having women in the industry. So to get those confidence, getting, you know, network and having those contacts to build your network within those professional platforms, such as LinkedIn and finding mentors, etc. Yeah, terrific. Great advice. And I think the other thing on top of all of that, those wonderful suggestions, I think one of the things that needs to happen is that young people who are thinking about this career need to see themselves in the field. They need role models like the two of you. So thank you for standing up and being so public about your career and your thoughts on this today. I think it will really be a great help to folks, not just pursuing careers in cybersecurity, but who are trying to understand this field better. So thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Subscribe to the Smart Women Smart Power podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to good content. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Smart Women. Thanks for listening. See you next time. The Smart Women, Smart Power podcast is supported by Raytheon.